This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data that EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Welcome back again, Cam. Another week. Um, looking forward to anything in Q2 this year, quarter <laughs> two. <laughs> well, I am. Um... You know, assuming a new variant of uh, Omicron doesn't surface, I do hope to get over to Europe a couple of times, both for work and uh, a bit of fishing. So uh, if I can make it out of what they call the cruelest month up here, March, then (laughs) it all starts to look better. Yeah, well, hopefully COVID doesn't put any dent into those plans because that sounds like good. All right. So flows out of China dedicated funds definitely took the stage this week. Um, A typically secure investment has investors now worried. Why do you think this is? Well, I'd start by saying secure might be a little too broad, but certainly we had noticed and we've talked about on this podcast that um, institutional investors have been turning to China, uh, at least in the short run, uh, on the basis that with – the Winter Olympics, which are now passed, and the Communist Party conference in the fourth quarter, uh, it was a sound bet that uh, China would pursue uh, stable, slightly expansionary uh, fiscal and monetary policies. Um, you know that has, I think, been a good bet, and 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 those investors were willing to put up, honestly, with pretty mediocre. <laughs> Uh, market performance, uh, both in relative and absolute terms for that. Um, However, you know, that negative performance is one of a number of headwinds that have been building up uh, against the case for China. You know, among the, the sort of major uncertainties are just how far its regulatory crackdown is going to go against the uh, technology sector, uh, quite how far it's going to go to keep its property sector uh, on a more even keel, um, and quite how far it's going to go to protect the zero COVID policy, which is being tested pretty hard again by uh, the, the COVID's Omicron variant, um, and uh, you know, I think I think sort of the feeling is growing that uh, they will, for sort of uh, political reasons, certainly persist with it uh, until the, uh, the the party conference is over, so that. Uh, the risk of important sections of China's economy being shut down at random is going to persist for another couple of quarters. Um, and then, uh, you know, China is also caught up a bit in the broader uncertainty about uh, what the short and long term fallout of uh, Russia's uh, Ukraine adventure um, is going to be. Uh, China has been trying to walk. Uh, a line that uh, maintains its friendship with another major anti-U.S. Uh, power in the world, 
uh, without uh, antagonizing the U.S. so much that its uh, economic relations suffer even more. Um, and it also has to navigate uh, a tricky line given its uh, historic doctrine of non-interference in sovereign countries' business, uh, you know, which Russia's incursion certainly does not pass the smell test on that front. So, um, you know, they're tiptoeing a number of, of, of thin lines that, you know, they could fall either way. Um, and I think that added to the fact that, uh, you know, performance has been negative year to date, uh, finally produced a capitulation. Hey, th- those funds have still, are still up, uh, well over 20 billion in terms of, of inflows so far this year. Uh, so, um, you know, if it persists, that will be significant. You know, you, there's always the caveat that, you know, uh, one swallow doesn't make a summer, one week of large <laughs> inflows or outflows doesn't make a trend. But that said, we did see uh, a similar movement on the fixed income side. Uh, the China bond funds we track had a weekly outflow in excess of a billion for the first time ever. So um, even if it turns out to be sort of a short-term pullback. It was a fairly aggressive one. Right. Um, it was still significant enough to cause emerging markets overall to see an outflow this week, and developed markets also were hit by outflows. Um, what was the main backdrop behind these? It was sort of varying mixtures uh, of the same ingredients. Uh, I think in the case of the developed markets, obviously Europe is closer to the front lines of uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, but uh, high energy prices and and the uh, push-pull relationship with inflation, uh, the fact that um, there are now four G10 markets gets uh, embarked on uh, tightening cycles, um, COVID's unwelcome reassertion <laughs> uh, as, as, a, as a major risk. Um, and, and, you know, to be fair, while the flows were negative, they were not spectacularly negative given, you know, <laughs> the, the large Lego kit of, of, of headwinds from which we can kind of pull out and build ugly structures. Um, jam equity funds, the diversified global emerging markets funds, they uh, they had uh, a reasonable inflow their first in a while. Um, there's still interest in uh, alternative resource stories. Uh, so Australia, Canada, Saudi Arabia, Chile equity funds all had, you know, fair to quite good inflows this week. So, um, you know, the overall pattern for flows, except interestingly, again, in the sector area, was fairly lackluster. They were negative more often than not, but outside of China, not spectacularly so. Investors committed significant fresh money to many of the sector fund groups. One of them was tech and the other healthcare, who both pulled in over a billion. Um, While utilities and infrastructure also attracted some attention with their energy and defensive qualities, um, what's your insight on 
persist. There were some interesting nuggets in all of those uh, flows that you mentioned. Um, uh, on the healthcare side, um, there was a significant share of the money went to the biotech part of that uh, fund universe, uh, and it certainly uh, appears as if investors have realized that um, the fight against COVID is far from over and that um, they're likely to be uh, more returns uh, in, in from the battle against COVID. Uh, among, on the technology sector funds, uh, again, you know, COVID reinforces uh, a pattern we've seen of of working from home, home entertainment, online shopping. Uh, but uh, what I picked up from that was the fact that it was China technology sector funds that accounted for roughly half of the week's headline number, uh, somewhat counterintuitive given the stresses that uh, – that part of the Chinese economy have been under. Um, but it does appear that um, the fact those uh, major Chinese tech plays, a lot of them are trimming their workforce, um, is seen uh, as more of a positive development, um, more of a discipline on costs rather than the loss of intellectual capital uh, type of dynamic. Um, uh, again, I think that could swing pretty quickly, but uh, you know, for, for the moment, um, investors remain uh, fairly committed to the notion that longer term there's value in the tech sector, Chinese tech sector, regardless of sort of the short term pain that it's going through now. Uh, and on the utility sector front, um, there were periods last year when they did quite well. But uh, when you sort of dug behind the headline number there, uh, what was noticeable last year was how often a major component of the inflows uh, went to funds in the water space, water treatment, water supply. Um, recently, that hasn't been the case. Um, sort of more interest in your classical uh, utilities providers, you know, especially energy Um which, uh, you know, I think will bear watching because, um, yes, with higher costs, <laughs> uh, you know, higher fuel costs, um, that's sort of likely to boost uh, gross revenues. But uh, those situations frequently trigger uh, the non-market force instincts of the political class. And we've already seen it in your analysis. You noted uh, that France is talking about capping electricity prices. Uh, Germany is uh, debating large subsidies for homeowners. Uh, so it doesn't take long for seemingly benign, or, you know, or, or positive market forces from a, an investor's perspective. Not if you're paying the electric bill um, to, <laughs> to to be kind of derailed uh, by regulatory or political action. Uh, but for the moment, yes, utility funds are in uh, the classic versions thereof are enjoying a moment in the sun. Mm. Well, the U.S. and Europe are planning to announce a pact to boost Europe's supply of liquefied natural gas by the end of the year. Do you think this will come into play in the upcoming week? Maybe how as well? Well, we saw outflows from energy sector funds. So um, 
people are still scrambling to try and form uh, a picture out of the disparate pieces of, of what uh, – the energy market will look like, especially in Europe, but uh, even globally with a, a sanctioned Russia. Um, you know, we have noticed but when sort of looking at the stock level that uh, um, the stocks of you know, major green energy producers, which really kind of tumbled off the board uh, in, in terms of EPFR funds steering money into them, in the early part of March, uh, sort of started to move back up the ranks. Um, you know, I think I think the devil is in the details. The the gas that's being offered is liquefied, and that requires a fairly serious investment in infrastructure. Uh, on the other hand, infrastructure sector funds have been seeing a little bit of a renaissance. So I think uh, I think people feel that uh, you know it's a serious initiative, um, but it isn't something you can whistle out of thin air. You have to sort of uh, get the U.S. fracking industry back in a higher gear um, at a time when uh, the, the administration here is not uh, particularly supportive. Uh, you have to build. Um, the facilities in Europe to sort of receive this net liquefied gas, and, and that won't happen overnight. Um, and there's still, I think, a fairly large segment of the investment public who think that uh, the end game in Ukraine is coming into sight. That um, you know, and pick your scenario, but a common one is that Russia will continue to try and inflict more damage um, uh, and then declare <laughs> victory, um, we, we will see. Um, but um, it's still – there's still sort of a somewhat tactical rather than strategic view of this conflict. Um, you know, markets are notorious for their rose-colored glasses until things really change, and then <laughs> for for the panic-stricken <laughs> retreats. Um, but in, in this case, I, you know, the the underlying narrative continues to be that uh, the the conflict will sort of grind to a halt. Some kind of settlement will occur. Um, and enough Russian gas will continue to flow into Europe um, that you know price shocks will you know, prices will go down and 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 at the same time Europe will be more aggressive about developing alternatives so longer term it will be less vulnerable. Yeah, countries have a lot a lot of things to consider and investors do as well. in, in the upcoming week and as we kind of close out on the first quarter of 2022. Um, so thank you, Cam. Um, but before we leave today, I'd like to ask our viewers to join us um, on April 11th for our new monthly Nowcasting series, where we'll be joined by market practitioners to discuss global economies in real time through daily fund flows and other high-frequency economic indicators. We kick off April 11th when Cam and Macrobon's Gregoire Haftman will cover the history of high-frequency macro data producing nowcast models and where to find the most granular data. Thank you, Cam. You're welcome. <laughs> and we'll talk next week. We will indeed. 
Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.